And I want to welcome in not only those of you who are in the room, but those of you who just now have joined us on uh, Freedom Online. It's always good to have you be a part of worship with us here at Freedom. Uh, I'll say a quick word about what's coming up starting uh, next week and through November and the beginning of December. I'm excited about the series that we're about to begin because today is the final installment in the current series. But next week we're going to be diving into something that I am just, uh, my heart is really drawn to because I just feel like so many times, in, particularly in the American expression of Christianity, that we fall in the trap of just sort of feeling like Christianity is just, it's about going to church and just sort of being generically nice. And we miss out on so much of what it means to be truly a follower of Christ. And so we're going to dive in over the next several weeks into really some of the specific virtues that if you truly are a follower of Christ, these are the things that must mark our lives. We're going to be talking about things like integrity and purity. Next week when we start off, we're going to be talking about honor. And this would be a great series to make sure that your kids and your grandkids are here with you as we dive into some of the really meaty stuff of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So anyway, that's what's coming. But today uh, we're in the final installment of our current series on the big choices that we make in life. And today's the one that I've looked forward to the most as we're going to talk about choosing the important over the urgent. But I want to begin with just a simple question. How many of you have something or things in your life that are really important to you that you just don't get to spend enough time on? Maybe it's your, yeah, by, by a show of hands. How many would say, man, there's stuff that's really important to me. I just don't get to spend enough time on it. I, I'm right there with you. It may, it, it may be something as simple as sleep <laughs> that's really important that you don't get to spend enough time. With. Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's your golf game. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's time with God or with your mate or with your kids. But most of us have got things that we wish that we could spend more time on. Now, I'm going to ask you a question to help you flesh that out a little bit more. And you're actually going to answer this one out loud in your small group as you kick off this week. But I'm going to go ahead and get the wheels turning in that direction. You know, next weekend is our fallback weekend. It's, it's when we get an extra hour. Don't you love that? Isn't that like the best weekend of the year to get an extra hour of sleep on Saturday night? Well, I want you to just imagine that as a gift, God gave you two fallback hours, but he did it every day of your life. If you had two extra hours in every day, what would you use those two hours for? Why don't you just think about that for a minute? If you got the bonus of a 26-hour day every day, how would you use the extra two hours? It's really kind of intriguing to think about. What would what would you give in those you know, in exchange for those two hours, what really matters to you? And, of course, you know where I'm going with that. If that's what you'd really love to do, if you had those two hours, then the question becomes, why don't we figure out a way to get more of those things into our current 24 hours of time? Now, I already know what the answer to that is. It's because we're too busy, right? I've got a job to go to. I've got a family to take care of. We've got lawns to mow and and floors to mop and houses to take care of and and dishes to wash and bills to pay and all this stuff to do, right? We're just so busy. I've said this before, but I mean, it's really a sign of how it's an epidemic as to how busy we are. That if we, I mean, we could do an experiment right now. We won't take the time to do it. But if you made a point of moving around the room before you leave here today and greet at least 10 people that you know well enough that they're going to say more than a word, one word response when you speak to them, if you shake their hand and ask them how they're doing, 
After they say fine or good or whatever the one word response is, if they say anything beyond that, you know that the follow-up to that is going to be one of two things. They're going to either say fine, but I'm just either I'm just so tired or I'm just so busy, right? That's the standard American response, at least here in the Bible Belt it is. How are you doing? I'm good, but I'm just so busy. It's almost like there's something wrong with you if you're not busy. We just want to validate. You know, I just want you to understand, I'm not just sitting at home watching TV all the time. I'm busy. My life counts for something. I mean, somehow there must be self-validation in that because we're, we're always saying, I'm just so busy. As if it ought to be a, a badge that we wear. You know, I, I think we ought to just take it upon ourselves to really try and undo that and just freak people out. The next time somebody asks you, how are you doing? And you, you, know, you say it back and they say, oh, I'm good, but I'm just busy. Just so busy all the time. In response, you ought to say, yeah, I'm doing good too. I'm just so relaxed. I'm just feeling so rested today. Just getting so much good quality time with the Lord. Enjoying a lot of great time with my kids. I'm doing great. People are not going to know how to respond to that, are they? That's just going to totally wig us out if somebody's actually going, I'm just at peace. I'm getting a lot of rest at night. I'm just feeling really good right now. It's like, what's wrong with you? You freak? It's not what you're supposed to say back. I I just want to remind you. You've heard this all your life. It's just so true. We tend to think that the devil is out to just do one thing, and that is make us bad. It's like the old country preacher used to say, you know, the devil, he is so bad. He's, just, just look at his name. You take the D off of devil, and what have you got? Evil. The devil is evil. You take E off of evil, what have you got? Vile. The devil is vile. You take V off of vile, and what have you got? Ill. That's what the devil wants to make you is ill. You take I off of ill, and what have you got? Ill. And that's where the devil wants to take you to ill. <laughs> so. You know what I'm talking about. The devil, he's evil. He wants to make you evil. I'm sorry, that wasn't even a part of the message, but uh, just channeling country preacher there. The de- <laughs> Myself off track. The devil is not just out to make you evil. He is truly content to just make you busy. Because think about it. What, what does he want? Satan wants you to miss the will of God. That's it. I mean, you, you remember the definition of sin is not evil. The definition of sin, hamartia, it, it's to miss the mark. It is an arrow that does not hit the target. It just misses the mark. The target is what God has planned for you for today. And so sin is anything that misses the target. The devil doesn't have to make you bad today. All he's got to do is just get you distracted and busy so that you don't even notice what God's calling you to today. That you're just so distracted and so busy that you miss the mark of what God planned for today. And that, by definition, is sin. That's, that's just living outside the will of God. So if he can just keep us busy, he has thoroughly succeeded. He didn't have to get you into drugs or alcohol or whatever scary stuff you think the devil's trying to get you into. Can he use those things? Certainly he can. But he's far more effective at just making us busy. And we have been so sucked into a particular mindset where, as Americans, we're just supposed to be busy, busy, busy. That it's almost like, without realizing it, we're confessing that the enemy's having his way. When somebody goes, how are you doing? And we say, I'm good. I'm just so busy. I mean, we ought to be disturbed that that is our immediate response. Always just, just busy. Just, yeah, we are. We're so busy that if we took the time to say, well, tell me how you're doing. 
in some of the key areas of your life that we'd wind up having to give ourselves bad marks because we were too busy to do well at the things that matter the most. And that's what we want to talk about today, about choosing the things that matter the most. You know, I'm at the point, I really want to break the habit in my life of saying, I wish I had more time for whatever. That I wish I had more time for the things that I really value in my life. Because the truth of the matter is, I have plenty of time for the things that I actually value. I spend time on the things that I value. I just want to tell myself that I value other things. And you do the same thing. Wouldn't you agree? We, We declare that we value those things because we spend time on them. Now, in our heads, we carry a different set of values and say, this is the stuff that's really important. Well, if it was so important... Why don't we spend time on those things? The truth of the matter is, and this is kind of the beginning point in your outline, we all have time for what we choose to have time for. Amen? I know that was a little weak. I'm going to see if we can't get stronger by the time we're done with the message today. We all have time for the things that we choose to have time for. We've all got the same 168 hours this week. And so the issue today is choosing what's important. Over what's urgent. Because we live with the tyranny of the urgent most of the time. Now you may say, I thought urgent things were important. Sometimes they are, usually they're not. You recognize the difference between the urgent things in your life and the important things? I'll give you some easy examples to recognize that. Suppose you run a business. And on a given day, tomorrow at your business, a customer comes in and they are hot. They are angry because the product that you sold them or the service that you provided, it did not measure up at all. And they are angry. What's urgent in that moment? Satisfying that customer, right? Trying to... to Take care of whatever's wrong with them. It's absolutely urgent. If you ever do business and work with the public, you know how urgent that is in the moment. But what is more important? What's important in the long run is recognizing, oh, wow, this is a symptom of something that's been going on and on. We're turning out a product that's faulty or we're providing a service where our sales rep or our service rep is not doing the job they're supposed to be doing. So what's important is correcting the problem. Right? Going back and putting in place a different system or retraining a person so that we don't keep making people mad. It's urgent that I satisfy this customer, but I could stay busy all the time satisfying angry customers and never do the important thing of correcting the original problem. That's important. Making the customer happy in the moment is urgent. You see the difference? When you have ignored those black stains under your car because it's got an oil leak day after day after day and you keep saying, oh, I need to go in and and have my oil checked. I, I need to get my oil changed. I need to see if they could find that leak. And you just don't get around to it until there is now a red light flashing on your dash and your engine won't crank. What's urgent in that moment? I've got to get my car to the shop. I've got to get my car fixed. How am I going to make it this week? I've got to get to work. I've got so much to do. How can I do all of this if my car is broken down? What's urgent? It is urgent that you get your car fixed. But what's important? What's important is that you service your car. What's important is that you keep some oil in your engine so that you don't destroy it. What's important goes way above what's urgent. But you can be driven by what's urgent all the time. You know, if you're sick 
because you've been burning the candle at both ends and you just have been going 90 to nothing and you just are so stressed out and so overworked and underrested and you get sick. What's urgent in that moment? Well, I've got to get to the doctor. I've got to get some prescriptions. I've got to get to the pharmacy. I've got to, I've got to do these things because I've got to get well so I can get back to work. That's urgent. But what's important is getting rest on a regular basis and adjusting your schedule and your lifestyle so that you're not stressed out and the candle burned at both ends. You see the difference between the urgent and the important. Today's all about choosing the important over the urgent. Uh, One of the modern thought leaders of today who's also a marketing guru, Seth Godin, said this about what we're talking about today. He says, if you choose what's important, you won't deal with as many things that are urgent. But the opposite's never true. You get that. If you'll consistently focus on the things that really are important, you won't have nearly as many urgent things take over your life. But if you do the reverse of that, if you're always putting out fires, you will never get around to the important stuff. And there are a lot of us who are always dealing with the urgent. Now, I want to share with you a scripture passage that you may initially go, what does that have to do with the subject at hand today? And it actually is a prime example of the very choice that we're going to talk about. Two examples of it in this one passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. You can turn there with me in your Bibles or you can just pull out your sermon outline. I put the, the entirety of this text in your outline this week. This is an intriguing little passage where Jesus is intersecting the lives of four people who will be a vital part of his mission on earth. In fact, you know within the circle of the twelve apostles that Jesus had an inner circle of three. They were his closest friends, and these became sort of senior leaders within the kingdom movement that Jesus started once Jesus returned back to heaven. And of course, the inner circle of three was Peter, James, and John. There actually were two sets of brothers, Peter and his brother Andrew, and James and his brother John, the sons of thunder. These four were actually partners in business before Jesus came along. Uh, Andrew and Peter, uh, Simon Peter, they owned a fishing boat together, and went in the fishing business together, and their partners were James and John. They each had individual fishing boats, and they worked together on the Sea of Galilee, and they have already had an encounter with Jesus at least once. We know from reading the other Gospels that they have spent at least a day with Jesus, enough to be very intrigued that this guy is unlike anybody that they've ever encountered before, but they are not yet followers of Jesus. They are, they're, we might say they're seekers who are very interested, but they have, after spending a day with Jesus, they've gone back to living their life of, of being fishermen. This is the day that everything is going to change forevermore for these four men. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, While the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen. This is the the boats of, of these two sets of brothers. They were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that is Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now that may seem like an unusual setting to us, but if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee... It's, uh, it's very easy to understand why he would take this approach because he's got a massive crowd of people who are following him and wanting to get to him. And there is no uh, big theater or, or big auditorium for Jesus to go and address the people in. But if you've ever seen, the Sea of Galilee sits about 800 feet below sea level. It's, it's like a bowl wrapped around it. And so around a large portion of the Sea of Galilee, it's just these, 
slopes going down to the water. So actually when you're out on the water, it's a little bit in places like an amphitheater around you. And so Jesus recognized he could have all the people just gather on the hills right there at the edge of the water. And if he would just get in the boat and just get just a little ways from land, it would be like being in a, a football stadium and just stepping out onto the field so that everyone can see you. So he's just getting out in the water a little bit. He's using Simon Peter's boat to do that so that he can speak to everyone at once. And so when Jesus had finished speaking, it's interesting that Luke's just cutting to the chase. He's like, I'm not going to waste the time to try and tell you what all he had to say that day because the really important thing for you to know on this day is what happens with these four men. And so uh, Jesus, when he had finished speaking, said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Okay, now I want you to, it's important that we don't race through these stories. I want you to put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in Simon Peter's shoes. They have fished all night long. This isn't pleasure fishing. These guys fish for a living. All night long. And in the morning they've come in and they've caught nothing. These aren't guys who, well it's nice when we have a catch but it's no big deal when we don't. You don't catch anything, you don't make any money, you're in a bind. So, I mean, they are frustrated, they are tired. When's the last time you had to work at something all night long? How did you feel by about this time the next morning? Pretty terrible, wasn't it? Okay, they're doing the usual thing. We fished all night, now we've got to wash the nets, put them away. It's like, how quickly can you get that done? Because you just need to get home and get some sleep. And then Jesus steps up in the middle of this, and while they're washing their nets, he hops in the boat. It's like, hey, Peter, take me out in the water a little ways here. Now, that's already pushing the boundaries a little bit, right? He's just sort of forcing himself into Peter's life at this point. You know, people have told me all my life, you know, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way into your life. Jesus is a gentleman, but how many, how many of you know Jesus can sometimes just get all up in your life and mess with you? He can be pushy about certain things. I mean, and he's doing that with Peter. He, he hops in the boat. Hey, man, take me out in the water a little ways. Say, you, know, you know Peter's got to be tempted to say, I'm kind of doing something here. <laughs> you see how red my eyes are? It's because I've been up all night. Come on, just just humor me. Put the boat out in the water. He puts the boat out in the water. We don't know how long Jesus teaches, but it's safe to say it wasn't five minutes. So Peter's interrupting this. He's stretching out even longer, you know. Okay, is this thing about wrapped up? It's time to go home and get some sleep. And now, as the topper to that, Jesus says, Hey, Peter, let's go out into deep water. Let's go let down the nets for a catch. You've got to be kidding, right? I mean, did you not see what we were doing when you got here? We have been fishing all night long. It wasn't kind of a poor night. It was as bad a night as we've ever had fishing. We caught nothing. It's time to go home and get some sleep. Okay, here's the first instance in this story of choosing between the urgent and the important. What is urgent in this moment for Peter and the other three? Sleep. You got, I imagine, some breakfast and then sleep. I mean, at that point, I want the nets put away. I want the boats put away. I want something to eat and a bed to sleep in. And it is getting really urgent because it's probably the middle of the day by now. I've already missed half the sleep I was supposed to get before we show back up to work this evening because of you needing to preach from my boat. 
Peter's choosing between the urgent and the important. He said, we've been doing this all night. We haven't caught anything. And then you know there's a pause in there. And he says, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. You know under his breath he's saying what Yosemite Sam would be saying. But he's letting down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, it's pretty safe to say these professional fishermen did not have dinghies. They had fishing boats. And they did not have casting nets made out of thin little thread. These men had nets that were intended for carrying them out into deep water and pulling in significant amounts of fish. And Jesus performs a miracle on this day to cause them, when they have come up empty all night long, to catch so many fish that the nets are tearing apart. And they're like, this is crazy. I mean, they have to think initially that they're just like caught on something on the bottom, right? I mean, there can't be this many fish. And when they finally realize this is fish, and they're calling for James and John, you've got to get out here. You're not going to believe this. And they start trying to get the fish and the nets in the boats. And the boats are about to capsize. I, I just keep remembering that that scene in the original Jaws movie those of you that are old enough you remember when Richard Dreyfuss for the first time when they've gone out to catch Jaws and they get a good look at him for the first time and he goes you're gonna need a bigger boat (laughs) remember that moment there's a moment where they're trying to pull in the nets and Peter's going holy smoke we need a bigger boat We've actually caught more fish than we know how to land. They get all the fish on board, and the two boats are are barely out of the water. It's like, we're going to have to be really careful getting to shore. They've never in their lives had a day resembling this at all. They, They get the boats ashore. They are freaked out, excited, but they're realizing there's no way in the natural that this could have happened. We know this because of Simon Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It's a reflection of the fact that Peter knows there's no way this just happened. Somehow, this man is not just a regular man. He must be a prophet. He must be something special because he's done something really supernatural here. And I'm just a salty old fisherman. I don't need to be around this guy. Please get away from me. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Okay, this is the transitional moment. I'm about to completely, radically redirect your life. You're not going to do what you've been doing anymore. From now on, as you follow me, I'm going to teach you to do something different with your life. And the last line is the key line. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything. Everybody say, left everything. They left everything and followed him. Now, I want you to consider for a moment, when they do get those boats on shore, what is urgent in that moment? Anybody ever caught fish around midday and you didn't have a cooler to put them in? Is there anything that you could harvest or catch that is more perishable than fish in the middle of the day? 
they now have the biggest catch of fish they've ever had, ever seen, or ever heard about, which is for them a financial windfall. It's like they just hit the fishing lottery, but the thing about it is nobody's got a cooler to put it in. Nobody can ice them down. The thing about catching fish is you've just got to get them to market right then. You need to sell them today. You need to translate that into money immediately. And so, man, this is incredible. This is so exciting. We've just had the biggest financial windfall in our careers. It's right here in front of us. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, hey, guys, don't be afraid. But we're about to shake things up. From now on, this is not what you're going to do. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men and women. Come right now and follow me. And the most striking line in this whole account is, they left everything. They didn't just leave the boats. They didn't just leave the nets. They left the fish. The fish were money. Money like they had not been able to get their hands on in a long time, if, if not ever. What's urgent in the moment? Do you know what's urgent? Jesus, it's urgent that we go sell these fish. It's urgent that we take care of our business. We, we can't just go follow you. Don't you see today's the day we've dreamed of? We can't be irresponsible with this opportunity. We've got lots of urgent things in front of us. But what's important in that moment? I'm not asking that one rhetorically. What's important in that moment? The one thing that always trumps everything else. Doing whatever Jesus says, right? Not just 2,000 years ago. Today, the one thing that trumps everything else as to what's important is whatever Jesus said. Whatever Jesus says today, that trumps whatever I've got planned for the day. That's obviously the most important thing. You see the choice. We can do what's urgent. We've got families to take care of. We've got business here to consider. We've got a huge income right in front of us. We need to be responsible with that. That's urgent. But you can't have both. You're either going to do what's important. Jesus is passing through. He's leaving. You either get to be with Jesus and have your life changed in unthinkable ways. Or you can just stay busy. Friends, in a way, that story is a picture of the tension and the kind of decision that we have to make all the time. Every day of your life, there are a variety of things that clamor for your attention urgently. Right now, it needs to be done now, today. And those things can be so noisy and so... Involved, so time-consuming that we never even get to focus our attention long enough to discern what Jesus may be saying about today. We never even get to have time alone with Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like a day you ever experienced in your life? Maybe you had a few days like that this week. That's what today is about. Sometimes we just must ignore the urgent In order to do what's most important. But the tragedy is, most of the time, because we're so caught up in the urgent, we never get around to the important things in life. So here's the real question for the day. What is one, at least one, really important thing for you that you've been distracted from doing or pursuing in your life? And in your outline, I've given you just several different things to consider. Time with God. Maybe time with your kids or... Working on your marriage or pursuing romance with your mate or with 
your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's, it's about your body and exercise or taking time to actually shop and cook and, and eat right. Or maybe it's really being committed to being connected to the body of Christ and the church and in a small group. Maybe the thing that you've neglected the most is just rest. And it's impacting so many other areas of your life because of that. Maybe it's reading or studying or writing or working on your music or maybe it's serving others in the kingdom. But I want you to be honest about this. I want you to circle or write in something here. What is it that's being neglected in your life? A lot of times we'll, we'll get to a place like this because maybe we've either been so job-centered and just career and all the demands there have have drawn our focus away from something that was really important in life. Or you know what oftentimes has just become the trap for my generation? Is our generation has just been so kid-centered. We just think everything's supposed to be about the kids. Day and night. All about the kids to the exclusion of other things that really are important. Maybe you're living such a child-centered life that other things that matter have been neglected. So what is it that you've... Neglected? Is it really pursuing an intimate, close relationship with your mate? Is it having a consistent time that you really get alone with God? Not just checking the box, but that you get alone with God and you pour your heart out to Him and you really have some time to take in His Word and to just listen for what He would say to you today. Maybe it's really... Being frustrated at now realizing how long you've neglected taking care of your body. But what is it that you've been neglecting? I want you to think about the story we just read in Luke. And how much of an impact would it have had on the lives of these four men if they settled for the urgent over the important? And I want you to think in your own situation, if you continue to neglect that area of your life, what would the impact be? A year from now, in five years and ten years down the line, if you continue to neglect that. You know, a couple or three months ago, we studied a passage a little further on in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, that illustrates the same thing that we're talking about today. I won't take the time to go back and reread it, just a quick reminder. It's the day that Jesus drops in in Bethany, as he often did in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You remember that? And um, he didn't get to email or text them in advance that he was coming. He just dropped in. And clearly, it wasn't that he came because he was hungry for food. He came because he was just hungry for time with close friends. Time in Jerusalem was always difficult, so it was nice to pop over to Bethany and be with people who loved him and who would just accept him for who he was. And as he dropped in that day, you remember the two sisters, Mary and Martha, had very different responses to that situation. What they did was they both faced the dilemma of, oh, there's, there's the urgent and there's the important. We've got to choose one or the other. When Jesus dropped in, what's the urgent thing that Martha felt? Oh, my goodness. We have a guest in the house. We don't have anything prepared. We haven't done the cleaning. We haven't done the cooking. We, we've got to get busy, busy, busy. And so Martha goes and gets busy in the kitchen whipping up some lunch. And Mary, confronted with the very same situation, the overriding issue for her is, anytime Jesus is around, the one thing that matters most to me is, I just want every minute with Jesus that I can get. And so she's right there at his side, just talking with him and soaking up everything that she can from him. You remember how Martha came back in and she was just so tied up in knots. Jesus, tell my sister to get in here and help me. Don't you see? She's not helping with any of these things. And you remember how Jesus responded.
Martha, Martha, you were worried about great many things. Mary has chosen what matters most. Remember, this is all about big choices. She's chosen what's most important and it won't be taken from her. The implication is, Martha, you've chosen too. You've chosen to let the urgent pull you away. I wonder, just a short time later, when Jesus is returned to heaven, Martha will never again on earth see Jesus, hear his voice, feel his touch. How many times do you think she kicked herself over all the times that Jesus came to visit and she stayed busy in the kitchen while her sister just stayed right there with Jesus? I mean, don't don't you just know that she was sick for the rest of her life to realize, if I had only known... I didn't realize his ministry was only going to last three and a half years. I didn't realize he'd only stop in six or eight times like that. I I had no idea. I mean, I just didn't recognize that. You know, the thing that occurs to me is, those of us who are driven by guilt stay in a mode of being sucked into the urgent and missing the important most of the time. You know what I'm talking about? If you've just been so trained over time to be driven by, oh, I ought to, oh, I need to, oh, I'm going to feel really bad, I'm going to feel really guilty if I don't do this. When you're driven by guilt and ought, you'll miss the important most of the time. And there's a bunch of us driven by that, aren't there? I think, I think there's something they put in our milk when we're nursed as children in the deep south that we're just trained to live by guilt and ought. Amen or oh me. Do you all know what I'm talking about? I mean, mo- most of us are either driven by guilt or we're married to or living with somebody who's driven by guilt, you know? We, we can't do that because we've got to do this, right? Got to and ought to, driving us. Well, Mary chose what was better. Andrew and Peter, James and John chose what's better. And that's what today is about. Choosing what's better, choosing what matters most. But if we aren't intentional, the urgent is always going to crowd out the important. So what I want to do is just in the remaining minutes that I have, I want to share with you just three super practical, simple things that you can do to avoid living with the tyranny of the urgent all the time. These are just simple tools and suggestions to stay focused on what matters most. This is, I mean, you may initially hear some of this and go, that doesn't even sound terribly spiritual. I don't care. The whole point is designed to help us get our lives focused on what matters most if we're Christ-centered people, if we're kingdom people. So here's the first one. These things really do work. First of all, create artificial deadlines for yourself. Just create artificial deadlines. And you might say, well, well, what's an artificial deadline? Well, very simply, it's a deadline that nobody else imposes on you. You simply impose it on yourself so that you get the things that matter the most done and so that there's room for the things that matter the most when you're having to do the things that don't matter the most. You create artificial deadlines. I do this all the time in my life. Now, one of the cool things that I like about what I get to do for a living is there are a variety of different things that can happen in in the course of a normal week. And and I like the fact that that can bring some variety. But there's a part of every week for me that's very predictable. This is one of those parts. I have the equivalent of a college oral exam every week of my life. It's called a sermon on Sunday morning. You know, you, you get to discern every Sunday whether or not I studied the way that I needed to this week, but whether I prepared or not. Now, I will tell you, because of that, 
I create a bunch of artificial deadlines in my life. Because they're in the midst of the things that, that sort of ebb and flow from week to week, there are a couple of things that don't change. Every week, I have a sermon to prepare and have a small group lesson to write for, for all of our small groups. And so knowing that that's the case, I have a schedule I live by every week. And I have artificial deadlines that you don't impose on me. The deadlines, the hard deadlines, are, are very simple. It's Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. If I'm not ready Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, there, there's no getting it done while Butch is up here leading worship. You know, there's, I, I'm never over there like, what am I going to preach today? That, that's not the way that I do it. It's hopeless at that point. So I create all, all these artificial deadlines. Now, for years, I, I had a, for most of my ministry, I had a specific artificial deadline series of artificial deadlines that I would follow. I've actually advanced that this year. I've been able to advance that an entire week. So I'll just give you a quick glimpse of what I'm talking about, what it looks like for me this week and in any, any normal week. Tomorrow, when I get into my workday for the, the, the office portion of what I do, the study portion, tomorrow I will dive into the sermon for November the 13th, two weeks from today. And I will do all of the initial uh, background research and, and really getting figured out what it is that I'm really supposed to be getting into the meat of the message, and on Tuesday, by the time Tuesday is done, I will have a sermon uh, written and a pretty thorough draft and outline done for the sermon that's 12 days away. On Wednesday, I'll write a small group lesson for what is a week and a half away, and then when those things are finished, I'll set them aside, and that's my deadline. They've got to be done by that point in time, and then I will pull out the small group lesson and sermon that was written a week before, because I found if I've got an extra week to chew on it, it gets richer and meatier if I've had time to meditate on that. And so I'll pull out the message that I finished a week before that is now the November 6th message, and I'll go back and I'll, I'll revise that, and I'll start putting the meat on the bones on Wednesday, and I'll revise the small group lesson that I wrote the week before, and then I'll... By the end of the day, Wednesday, I've set the artificial deadline to get that out to everybody, to Philip and to Dave and to Beth, so that everybody that's got to do other stuff with my outline can, can get that done. And then I've got Thursday to go back and really take that message and put the meat on the bones. And then arbitrary deadlines, I have to preach that message on Thursday to nobody. But it's just a part of the preparation. And then, again, I have to preach it. Either on Friday or Saturday, my week, my work week is Sunday through Thursday, so Friday and Saturday are my weekend. One of those two days, I have to preach it a second time, and then I always have to preach it a third time on Sunday morning, early on Sunday morning. So with only a couple of exceptions, you've never heard me preach a message for the first time. When you hear it on Sunday morning, I'm preaching it for the fourth time at least because of all these artificial deadlines. I preach it on Thursday, I preach it either Friday or Saturday, and I preach it again early Sunday, and then I preach it for the fourth time to use, the first time anybody hears it. Now, I tell you all that to say, you, you may go, well, what's the point of telling me that? All of those artificial deadlines, do you know what they accomplish for me? They keep me from getting stressed out, and they ensure... That's something that's really important. What I'm doing right now to me is really important. It, it's like one of the most important things in my life. Now, trust me, I really get it. I know I don't hit a home run every week. I, I know I don't. I have to go back and listen to my own messages at times. Sometimes that's painful and I go, whoo, man, that could have been a lot better. But I do know this. I don't ever come in here on Sunday morning and preach something that's unprepared. Now, it may still stink a little bit in places, but I have at least prepared so that I'm not stressed. I am very much at ease when I come and share this, and I'm at peace in my off days. Why? Because unlike a lot of my peers who I am amazed at, who are just saying, man, Saturday stressed me out so bad trying to figure out what I'm going to preach the next day. And I'm like, 
dude, you'd have to put me in a nut house if I lived that way. Arbitrary you know, deadlines that I set in advance, artificial deadlines, free me up to know, hey, when Sunday rolls around, it's going to be prepared. But the other thing it frees me up to do is, is to enjoy the other things that really are important. So like, you know, family time and date time and that kind of stuff, I can really enjoy. I can enjoy time off because deadlines have been set, stuff's been done, and you don't wait till the last minute. When you're going to have time off, if your work week is anything like mine, when you're going to have a couple of days off at the end of the week, if you've got a job like mine where it's like, well, thanks for giving me a couple of days off, but it doesn't change what I've got to get done for the week. Any of you got jobs like that where it's like, that just means you've got to do your full work week in three days instead of five days because you get a couple of days off. Well, how do you manage that? Well, if you manage it smarter, if you're going to get Thursday and Friday off, then you set some artificial deadlines on Monday. How much has got to be done on Monday? How much has got to be done on Tuesday? Otherwise, it all falls to Wednesday, right? And then you're stressed out about that, and you're living with the tyranny of the urgent. Artificial deadlines will help you immensely with that. But in that, the other thing I'll say quickly is this. In, along with the idea of setting artificial deadlines... Create kind of artificial boxes, spaces that allow you to do the things that are important. To say, no matter what else is going on, this is safe space that this is always going to happen. Safe space that you've, you've blocked off that, hey, this is exercise time and nobody gets to you know, claim this time. It's already reserved in my calendar. This is time that I block off that's time alone with God or time alone with my mate. But, you know, create these things, build these things into your schedule, into your day for date nights or exercise or whatever that is. And and here's another thing. I'm just, I'm trying to be really practical. Here's one almost nobody gets excited about. Like cleaning the house. There's always more that you could do in cleaning the house, right? And so it's easy to look at it and feel like, you know, if somebody, your, your mate may say, so what are you doing today? Oh, I've just got to clean the house all day long. That sounds awful, doesn't it? I think I'd rather go spend a day in a jail cell than clean the house all day long. Here's a suggestion for how to do that differently. Arbitrarily create a set block of time. I'm not cleaning the house all day long. I'm giving myself Two hours or 90 minutes or whatever. I'm going to clean the house for this long. And here's what I'm going to get done in that amount of time. I'm going to knock out the bathrooms. I'm going to unload the dishwasher. I'm going to reload the dishwasher. And I'm going to do two loads of clothes. But at 10 o'clock, I'm done. That's all the time for house cleaning. And then I'm going to move on to something else that's more important. You follow what I'm saying? You'll get more done in two hours than than you would have done in four hours or eight hours when you say, I've only got this much time, I'm blocking it off. Creating artificial deadlines helps us to be more efficient so there's room for the things that matter the most. Secondly, are you with me on that? All right. Secondly, be ruthlessly selective about when to say yes. One of the biggest barriers to a meaningful life isn't a lack of commitment. It is overcommitment. Most of us are committed to way, way too much stuff. And we brag about how busy we are because we're overcommitted. But the question is, is being busy being productive? Because busyness doesn't equal productivity. And busyness doesn't equal meaning. Busyness doesn't equal fulfillment or satisfaction. So I would suggest to you, many of us don't need another to-do list. We need a to-don't list. Amen? Some of us need to make some lists of things that we are currently doing that are just sucking our schedules dry. And say, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore because it never should have been my job in the first place. 
Somebody else can do this or it can be left undone because I have got to make room for the things that really matter the most in my life. The most successful people are strategic and often saying no to good opportunities so that they can say yes to great ones. Now you think about that because that's very true. The most impactful people, the most successful people, they say no to a lot of good options so that they have space to do the really great options in life. Best leaders don't do more. They do more of what matters most. The greatest moms don't do more. They do more of what matters most. Great teachers don't do more. They do more of what matters most. Great followers of Jesus don't do more, 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 more. They just do more of what matters most, which means they do less of a lot of things. So if you want a meaningful life, say no to more. And yes, just to the things that matter most to you and in the kingdom. So when you look at your own life, let me just ask you to consider this. What are you doing that's eating up your time that if things were as they ought to be, that ought to fall to somebody else? That your kids ought to be carrying part of that load or somebody else in the business ought to be carrying part of that load or maybe that should be shared with a spouse or... Sometimes maybe you ought to be paying somebody else to do that so that you're freed up to do what matters most. And then the third and final thing, this is a biggie, do first what matters most. It's a simple principle. Whatever matters most, put it as the highest priority. We love to say, you know, if I ever have time, I'm going to, and you fill in the blank. When things slow down, I'm going to, no, 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 we're not, because it's not just going to slow down. So we're going to be intentional to say, all right, what matters most? I'll tell you what matters most. If you're a follower of Jesus, and most if not all of us are in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, time with Jesus ought to matter most. Amen? I mean, truly, how does your life have a center if you don't have time alone with Jesus? He has a center, but how does it have an appropriate center as a follower of Jesus if you don't have time alone with Jesus? Now, trust me, I am not here to beat anybody up spiritually. It's just we are where we are, and let's agree we want to get to a better place. That's, that's all we're about and in, in what we're saying here. And when we get really honest, and we've been doing this in small group, in case you haven't noticed in small group, we've gotten a lot more intentional here lately to do the accountability thing. And I know some people don't like that. It's like, you know, you shouldn't ask me such specific questions. This feels legalistic. There's no attempt to be legalistic. There's just a time and place for those of us who are committed to moving forward to look each other in the eye and say, you know, Jim, you ask me the questions. I'll ask you the questions. Tell me how it's going in your walk with Christ. How many days this week have you been able to make time to spend time alone with Jesus in his word, praying, listening for his voice? And you ask me the same thing. And let's do that on a regular basis so that we get more faithful about it. Sounds good doesn't it? I think, yeah, that didn't get any amens. It is a good idea. But it's disturbing to know how frequently when we do that, the answers aren't encouraging. That the truth of the matter is most people, most church-going, Jesus-loving people don't even spend time alone with Jesus. Don't spend time in His Word. But we go to church and we try to be nice. And there's a lot more to it than that. We've fallen prey to the tyranny of the urgent. If we're followers of Jesus, then the thing that ought to come first 
is seeking Jesus in the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first. Everybody say, seek first. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met. There's never a week that goes by that we don't need to spend day after day after day listening for the voice of Jesus. Coming to know the person of Jesus as we go to his word and just have time for our souls to just soak that in and to think about that and to hear what God would say to us today and for us to pour out our hearts to him first off. And so I suggest let's do it first. Let's start the day with that. And then let's think about what are the other things that matter most to us. Well, if you're married, hopefully your spouse is really high on that list. If you've got kids, hopefully they're far up the list. You know, think through what are your values and now how do I build in time for the things that matter the most? And it doesn't have to all be heavy stuff that's, oh, it's more responsibility. Hey, I would suggest to you some of the things that ought to matter to you are the things that refill your tank. Whether that's reading or hobbies or travel. Build time in for those things because you'll get to a bad place if you don't give yourself time and space for those things. How does anybody ever have time for all of those things? You've got to build it into your schedule. So be ruthless about it. Be intentional and disciplined about it. I'll just go ahead and tell you a few things that I build into my schedule and I don't flex on them. If you haven't ever figured this out, I'm not available on Thursday nights. With the, the arrangement in our family situation, Thursday night is the one night of every week, regardless of what else is going on, that we know that we have no children in our house. So Thursday night, my time is Jackie's 52 weeks out of the year. So I never schedule anything on a Thursday night. Friday is my day off, and we consistently are able to do Fridays together. So I don't schedule appointments. I don't. I mean, Thursday night and Friday are off limits. Those are those are times for us to do our own thing. Don't always know what we're going to do those days, but we reserve those for each other. And it's sort of an unwritten one with us. As often as I can, I'll block off lunch on Monday so that we get another time kind of on the other end of the week that we get time just with one another. But I'm telling you, the Thursday night, Friday thing, I don't, I don't mess around with that. Other times that are just critically important for me, you know, there's an hour and a half in the morning on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that's time for, you know, just taking care of my body and getting to the gym. Now, I have to be creative in where those fit into my morning because I've got some other things I've got to work them around. But I won't take appointments that are going to make those times go away because... I've realized if I'm going to be in this for the long haul, I've got to have some time to decompress and take care of me. Those are built into the schedule. Um, I'll tell you, it's one of the things I've discovered that's on my most important list is time in Christian community and for accountability with Christian brothers. And so every Monday morning at 6.30, nothing gets to violate that. I'm with a group of men that we're in a discipleship relationship with each other, and everything else has to be dropped for that. No appointments during that time. Wednesday nights from 6 to 8, I'm in with my small group, and nothing else gets to invade that, and that's always on the schedule. I'll tell you, I made a a decision many, many years ago when I first started working in full-time ministry. Counseling can take up a lot of time. 
um, sometimes in the past it's taken up large, large chunks of the week. And I just had to make a decision early on because nobody wants to come for counseling during the day. Everybody wants to come at night or on Saturday, right? Because we all work during the day. Now, if you're paying for counseling, you show up during the day. But if you're getting it for free, you want to come at night or on the weekends. I discovered that a long time ago. And so I had to make the decision. Am I just going to accommodate everybody else? Or am I going to say, hey... Evenings and weekends when I have a shot to be with family, and I just determined I'm blocking that off and going to say, I'm not available in that time, and I don't have to explain why, and you don't either. You block off what's important, and if your family's important, you block off the time for them, and don't explain when somebody says, hey, can you do this at such and such a time? And when you look at that and go, ooh, that's a time that's reserved for my kids or for my spouse or, or for my small group or whatever, you don't have to explain why. Just say, nope, I'm tied up then. I'm not available. Can we find another time? That's a good response. You've got to say no to the good to be able to say yes to the great. And so here's where we land when it's all said and done. You can make excuses today or you can make progress, but you can't make both. Amen? We can either make excuses for where we are or we can make progress. When Paul wrote to Timothy, his protege, he said, Timothy, I want you to to set the pace. You set the bar in life, in love, in speech, in faith, and in purity. I want you to watch your life and doctrine closely. You look at how you're spending your time. You look at what you're doing. And here's what I would say to you, Timothy, in summation. He says, you be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone can see your what? So that everyone can see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Now, you could probably name ten things that need to be changed in your life. You can't change ten things right now and maintain them. What are the one or two things that are being neglected that are really important that you need to shift some things, make some changes to get back on track? You got those clearly in mind? If you do, say, "Uh uh-huh, and do this. Are you with me? All right. Let's take those before the Lord right now. Father, we pray that you would help us to see with clarity what it is in our lives that matters that's been put on the back burner. Now, at the same time we're asking for that, would you help us to see the things that have been urgent that are not important? Would you help us to see things that we've committed to, said yes to, they're good things, But at the end of the day, they are the things that are just keeping us busy. And would you give us the courage to say no and to clear them off of our plates? Lord, at the end of the day, we want to be followers of Christ who seek first your kingdom, who seek you and your righteousness. Would you help us to do that? I want to just invite you as we're bowed together in prayer. If you've recognized an area that something needs to be let go of or something that needs to be given more time... Would you ask God right now, first of all, for forgiveness for not pursuing what matters most. But would you ask him to give you the strength and the wisdom to know how to get that straight so that you live with the first things first in your life. God, would you supply us what we need so that we live with Christ first and with people ahead of of, of jobs and money and those kinds of things that our priorities would be in order but that our lives would match our priorities we offer ourselves to you and pray that you would help us to get a fresh start and to do what paul counseled timothy to do to give ourselves wholly to these matters to be diligent in them so that 
we would truly make progress. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.